Welcome to the MR Running Pains Podcast, or welcome back to the MR Running Pains Podcast. My name is Aaron Saft. Today, I have with me Coach Patrick Reagan. Patrick is just an all-around awesome person. He's a great runner. He's a great coach, great friend, just great person to know. Uh, I hope you take a lot away from this conversation as we talk about uh, the Grand Slam and training for the Grand Slam or a 100-miler um, or just training training in general. There's just so much packed into this episode that uh, hopefully you can take away from. So if you have questions for either of us, our contacts are going to be in the show notes. But like I said, you know, grab a pencil and paper because you're going to take away a lot from this episode. And I thank Patrick for his time. I'll catch up with you guys at the end of the episode. So please enjoy my conversation with Patrick Reagan. Mr. Coach Patrick Reagan. It's Mr. Coach Patrick Reagan. <laughs> How are like you? That. <laughs> i'm doing pretty well buddy i'm doing pretty well thanks for having me on again oh man it's it's always good to to see you and, and share these conversations um i like to that we both started with the smile we were just talking how <laughs> these podcasts sometimes can be just a little too uh too serious so uh, it's a good way to start so um mr patrick tell us a little bit more about you and what you've been up to because you've been on the podcast before but you've been up to quite a few things so let's hear about it yeah, so I did my first race of the fall, um, first hundred I finished this year. I did Havelina, so I was really buried in the training process for that, like like most of us get. Um, and once I got through, I got to kind of take a little break from from running um, and focus back in on you know coaching all the athletes I work with. Uh, I just got a chance to travel to Desert Solstice. Um, yeah, it's been it's been pretty fun this year to to support all the athletes I'm working with. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I mean, very relevant in, in our conversation today for sure. Um, but, um, you know, talk a little bit about, uh, what that was like for you, um, you know, going into Havelina, kind of the, the first time getting back in the mix, um, great field, you know, always a great race. Um, it's, you know, such a cool setting and that's I'm sure why you keep going back. So just talk a little bit about the the race and, and, you know, how that was, you know, what it meant to you and, and how, how you took and interpreted your results. Yeah. I mean, Havelina for me has been a race that is quite special, you know, having won three times in a row. And the question was why go back, right. Uh, that, that I'd got once I'd entered and it was more of a homecoming for me that I got to go back to where I learned to run the hundred mile distance, um, to a race that is very special to me in terms of the atmosphere. Um, the race directors, you know, having a bit of a personal relationship with Jamil and Jubilee, um, and, and just enjoying that setting for sure. Um, it's easy to train for here in Savannah, you know, being that it's a hot weather race and it felt like I was kind of reestablishing myself given that I was coming off a of DNF earlier in the year, um, and wanting to just get a nice clean finish. <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't know if I so much had a perfect day out there so much as it was empowering to have like my community around me, some athletes that I coach, um, my wife was there. Uh, my good friend, Nicole, who's like my partner in the coaching business was there. So we had this day that not everything went perfectly. And that's, that's part of being an athlete and weathering the storm. I think that made it maybe even all the more special to, to have a day that I trained really hard for this event. It wasn't a perfect result for me, but it was, it, it felt very good to get to the finish line, you know, mm. and as we age as ultra runners, it's, it's, it's nice to think back on results and say, well, this is where I was, and this is the runner I am now. 
these are the problems I'm having today and, and how do I, you know, how do I navigate those? So in post, I guess that's the way I'm looking at it is maybe I've got a long way to go to get back to exactly where I want to be as an athlete, but it feels good to power through and finish on a, on a day that wasn't ideal. Yes. Yeah. Well, let's, you know, talk about that for a moment. Cause I think a lot of times, especially at the hundred mile distance, you know, there's like, we have this vision, right. Of this, this perfect race. And, um, you know, the reality of that, uh, coming to fruition, there's just so many external factors that I think if, uh, if we crossed the line and we didn't meet expectations that sometimes we get down on ourselves and, and perhaps we shouldn't. And, you know, I, I like the fact that you're, you know, taking away that, Maybe it didn't go according to plan, but when you look at it, you can say, well, uh, you know, maybe I wasn't quite where I wanted to be, but, you know, I'm, I'm going to do the steps necessary to get there. Because um, sometimes we don't look at these races as a stepping stone, especially as a first hundred miler. I think sometimes people look at the first hundred miler and they just expect a finish, you know, that can be just the goal is just to finish and they don't, you know, and that's, that's a hard reality is, you know, training for something and not getting it finished. But I think if they can take away things and learn things from why they didn't finish, that might be even more powerful to help them finish the next time. Um, so I think there's a lot of what you just said that people can take away and say, you know, well, you know, maybe this didn't go according and it doesn't have to be a hundred miler, you know, it can be any distance, but um, that's a really, you know, good mindset to, to kind of take away from this. So um, I appreciate that, you know, that well, openness about it. And it's a bit easier said than done. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you oh, know, yeah. if I, if I look at, my track at, at that race in particular, to be honest, I think, well, I won, I won, I won. It's, it's going to be hard to duplicate that, especially in a golden ticket race and the type of field we had. So I had to almost go in with quite reasonable expectations. I knew on a perfect day I could compete because I've competed there in the past, but I have to go in thinking this is the runner I currently am. And maybe Jonathan Rea, Dakota Jones, Matt Daniels, that maybe they are fitter than me right now. So I have to be careful and tactical, right? To not bite on the race they want to run early on, but run my race, stay focused on myself, listen to the signals my body's giving me. I think it's even harder in post to look at the result I had, Aaron, and say, I'm really happy with that. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, it, right. it's, it's difficult, right? I actually probably more look at it and have kind of those post-race blues like you're talking about, right? Where it's like, man, I know that could be two hours faster, right? But if we, if we look at it that way, it's going to be discouraging from even getting back into the next training block. And I think the more important thing is to look at it and say, I got to finish. I'm I'm pretty happy with that. And I know for a lot of people, the time I ran would be a dream time, right? That would be the, you know, maybe for, maybe for 60% of the ultra running population, even 70, like that time is, is difficult to achieve, right? Even 80%, 90%. So I don't want to complain about, you know, a couple hours off of a 13 hour time. I'm actually just pretty happy to still be doing this. You know, this yeah. is, this is really fun. It's awesome that I get to do this professionally and that's, that's the way that I'm trying to look at it. Although when I'm by myself, maybe not on a podcast with you, I look at the <laughs> result and it affects me a little differently. Right. Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, it, we were talking beforehand about, you know, your, your pre-race, um, you know, interview for the race itself. I think what would be most, you know, utilizing for, for folks is actually a post-race, right? Like how did it go? Like, 
what were the takeaways? Because that's, I think, what we need to analyze more so. You know, we, we go in with a plan, but then when we come out, what's what are we using moving forward? What's the plan moving forward? How do we plan to uh, to improve, right? Like, what were your takeaways? What were the positives? What went right? What were the negatives? What went wrong? What can you work on? I, you know, that's, I think, what um, a lot of times we're so frustrated you know, by a performance that it didn't go the way we wanted to, we neglect to take those things into account. And how do we move forward and improve upon them? We we let them hinder us rather than allow us to grow. So, um, you know, taking those things and it hurts. It, I'm not saying it doesn't hurt. It's just how do you move through it and understand that this is a process? Um, and I, I think that's where we'll find the most growth. Definitely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, and I think if we had more post-race interviews with athletes in the sport and on podcasts where the race didn't go perfectly, we would probably understand the, the average general psyche of the ultra running population where it goes perfect for, for very few runners in any given race. Right. right. Yep. But like most media sources athletically, I think ultra running often says to us, what have you done for me lately? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I hadn't, I hadn't done a podcast for, for four or five months and then I had five or six requests, right? Because right. I was going into Havelina and yeah. not to, not to accuse anyone, but I think we could use more, um, media from people that are in rough patches if mm -hmm. they were, if they were willing to do so, you know, sure. uh, I'm going through injury, but here's how I'm working through it. I mean, I think that right. would be super valuable. Right. It, you know, it, it exposes vulnerability, which none of us are really good at doing, <laughs> You know, that's the hardest thing is to allow yourself to show your vulnerabilities. But again, yeah. that's where we're going to find growth, right? Definitely. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you know, that said, it's, you know, this this distance, <laughs> it does it does a lot to us. Not only does it do things mentally, uh, however, the outcome, positive or negative, you know, physically. It, it takes a toll on us. And as you said, you got to take a break and take a step back. Um, but, you know, what what are we looking at? You know, just so folks understand, you know, not everybody's run 100 miles. Um, some people run a marathon and that's great. And that takes a toll. But if we're looking at the 100 mile distance, what what uh, toll does that take on us? Yeah. So now we're getting into our topics for the day. I love it. Um, <laughs> today, we're going to focus on the 100 mile distance and kind of what it takes to not only do well at it, um, but also to recover from it. Um, and how do we apply it to this adventure that you're about to go on to, right, Aaron? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so for me, the hundred mile distance is a huge tax on the endocrine system, right? When I'm, if, whether I'm working with myself or working with one of the athletes that I coach, um, no matter what that level that athlete is at, if they're a pro or if they're a newcomer to the hundred mile distance, we need to respect the tax that you will have in post on the body. Um, through the 50 mile mark or so it's, it's not different from running a 50 mile race. Okay. But there's something that happens between the hundred K mark and the hundred mile distance that undoubtedly you're going to be tapped out in ways you haven't been before. If you haven't done the distance before, but even if you are a seasoned runner, right, you are going to need a significant number of days off after the event, especially if it's the second hundred miler you've done in a year. And it's at the very end of your season. I always recommend much like, uh, and this is advice I'd got from Pam Smith pretty early on in doing hundred mile races 
taking a day off of running for every 10 days racing is really important. Now I'm not saying you shouldn't be active, but that's a good baseline start for me personally to just immediately know I'm not going to be running for 10 days. Now that doesn't mean I'm not going to go out for a 45 minute bike ride or go walk my dogs for an hour with a 20 pound weight vest, right? Just move. Um, doing two or three miles of walking per day is, is my usual approach. That's kind of my baseline. And, and I go from there, even the first two or three days after though, I'm almost doing absolutely nothing, taking, taking time completely off, maybe a little bit of mobility work, um, lots of water therapy, right? whether it's hot tub or Epsom salt baths, um, maybe a little massage therapy. So you almost like have to give up immediately. I'm not going to be running for 10 days. That's a good starting place. Now we're talking mostly in post, but the why of that is you're out there for an absurd amount of time, number one, but after the hundred K mark, no matter who you are, you are beating yourself up, <laughs> right? We're, right. we're, we're loading all of our body weight onto our joints. Um, Oftentimes we're getting massive trauma, like in the ankles and the feet, right. In these races, um, if the ankles and feet are destroyed, then like, it's going to be difficult when our ground contact point is beat up in such a way that if your ground contact point is beat up, you're not going to be able to train in the aftermath. Right. So more than anything, it's the endocrine system that, that I care about along with like soft tissues and, and harming something because the mobility down the chain isn't where I want it to be. So for me, the usual problem has come in the lower leg after, after the hundred mile distance, right? Like my feet are usually a little swollen. I don't have great mobility at the ankle because I'm, I'm a midfoot, four foot runner. So in the soleus and in the calf, I'm not in a good state either. So how could I expect to not strain something or hurt something if I went and jogged? So that's the reason that I usually completely back off in for those 10 days. Right on, right on. Yeah. Cause I, well, it also, I mean, you know, we, we talk about how much, um, the, the lack of our ability to, um, to supply our body with, with the nutrients it needs with the, the caloric demand that it has, we, you know, we're, we're going to caloric deficit. So, you know, at that extent too, our body totally needs to recover. And that's going to take some time too. Uh, you know, it's, I mean, down to the cellular level, we've, you know, we've kind of stressed the whole system. Like you talked about, you know, our endocrine system, as, but it's, you know, it's, it's really our, our whole body, you know, down to the cellular level that we've really created the, all of this stress and trauma with on the, within the systems. So it, you know, it's going to take time for that to, to catch back up and recover. Um, you know, it's, it will, <laughs> we just have to give it the time and that way we can resume and stay healthy. Uh, cause if we try to push back and, and get back too early, we're, you know, the potential for injury is just too high. And I think that's one of the things that, um, you know, folks just aren't quite good at is, is just taking that time to let the body recover. Cause like you, I, I say, well, let's, let's take the time to recover from this. And that's the hardest thing for people, you know, at, like one of the reasons being is they're like, well, I'm going to lose so much fitness. Um, do you want to touch on, on that subject for a moment? Yeah, I think related to this subject, like Zach better has some great content where he will post what he does each day in post to a hundred mile distance. Um, or in, in, in terms of what he'll, what he's doing literally each day in the aftermath of the hundred mile race, you know, day one, I'm working on some ankle mobility, you know, day, and it might be just a short 30 second video, but 
you need to be extremely specific to what you're finding is working for you um, in, in terms of what you're doing each day in the aftermath. Am I answering the question here? Aaron? Yeah, you are. <laughs> um, I think that the recovery process is, is individual and it depends on what you're sensing. Like, what are you sensing this time? having run a hundred mile race or your first 50 K versus the last time, right? Where are you having discomfort? Are you having just general trauma and pain or are you having just like general trauma or are you maybe on the pain scale or, you know, do you, do we need, maybe need a month this time? I think that that pivoting each time you do a race and doing things a little bit differently in posts are, are really important because just because last time you didn't get hurt, like, acutely or chronically and at the hundred mile distance this time around, you might need to be even more patient, right? This might be a 30 day process. This might be a 60 day process where you gradually work yourself back into running because not only did you a hundred mile race, but you had a really long season. So I, I mean, I encourage, you know, getting involved in different activities in after the hundred mile race, as opposed to just thinking, how can I get back to running as quickly as possible. Um, I think it's really healthy, healthy to have a bit of an off season too, right? Getting on a gravel bike, right? Getting on, um, getting on skis or snowshoes in particular area. Um, if you have that type of weather, so develop a, a general process, but also be willing to pivot off of your usual tactics too. Yeah. And regards to, um, you know, the, the general fitness, um, you know, if we're looking at, um, how much fitness do we lose by taking off this time? It's minuscule. And, you know, like I want to stress that point too, is cause that's what sometimes people get hung up on is, you know, they've reached this peak of fitness and they're worried about losing that fitness, but the actual amount of fitness that is lost by taking off this minuscule amount of time is in itself very, very small. So, um, you know, just to reiterate, you know, the time off, it's going to benefit you in the long haul because the, the amount of fitness that you lose in that time off will come back and then you'll actually grow from there. Your fitness will, you can actually take on more fitness by taking the time off and allowing the body to recover so that it can take on more stress and a, and a larger workload. Yeah. And let's think of it this way too. You may lose five eight, 10% of your general aerobic fitness in the 10 days after, or two weeks after doing completely no, like absolutely nothing, but you're also absorbing stimulus from one of the most important long runs you've ever done, which in the grand scheme of things, you have a greater potentially aerobic potential after that. And also a greater understanding of getting better at the hundred mile distance in the future. Right. If you are patient in the 14 days after, like I I've made big mistakes. I've pushed back into training five or six days after my first hundred mile race. And then I was on a spin bike for four or five months in 2018. Right. After I did my first Havelina, I just got back into things too quickly. I was excited about it. I'd got invited to Western States that year. It was my, it was going to be my first Western States. And I wanted to get to business as quickly as possible. And I wish at that stage, I'd have already been working with Magda or Ian Charman, right. As, as an advisor, as a coach to tell me patience, there's plenty of time for Western States, right? <laughs> like you don't really need to get in the thick of things till mid March, but 
that's one of the main mistakes we can make is getting back into things too quickly and then not allowing our body's time to absorb that massive amount of stimulus. And if our endocrine system is already super taxed, right? And from a cellular standpoint, we could push ourselves into severe overtraining, red S, um, create a whole world of problems that, that are acute and problematic where we cannot get back into the next training block to see the fruition of that huge stimulus being absorbed. Right. 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 Yeah. Um, let's, you know, let's talk a little bit about the, uh, the training for, for a hundred miler, um, in, uh, let's say in the amount of time, if we're talking weeks, how long do you typically look at a typical training cycle for a hundred miles? What's your, your typical, this many weeks is probably ideal for training for a hundred miler. It's heavily dependent on whether or not the runner has done a hundred miles before. And it's also heavily dependent upon what your general fitness is going into that training block. So if we're talking couch to hundred miler, it's a much longer process um, than I did a 50 K earlier this season. I did a 50 miler earlier this season. Now I'm 10 weeks from my hundred miler. 10 weeks should be enough, right? Mm -hmm. But if I, if you look at the training block as though I'm going to do 200 milers this year or 100 miler this year, why not stretch it and look at it more as a 24 or 36 week training block and the training block being a process, a kind of a traditional process that runners would use for an event like Western States where they'd get their training started again in mid, mid to late December they'd flow into something like way too cool 50 K at the beginning of March. They do American river 50 miler at the beginning of April. They might do one more 50 K in May, and then they do Western States in June. So what I'm looking at there is like, let's call it 28 weeks or 30 weeks. I think that's a healthy amount of time for you to focus on one big a goal. If you're a busy working professional, we often here on podcasts, people talk from the professional standpoint, well, I like to do 300 milers a year or 200 milers a year. And I look at the training block as 16 weeks, but I think most people need to look at it, uh, in more macro terms of this is the amount of time I have to train per week. I'm training less than professional runners. Um, I think a healthy amount of time is to look at the year in two phases, Aaron, where we have 24 weeks for phase one, 24 weeks for phase two. And let's be honest, everybody needs maybe four weeks off a year, right? Right. That's the other four of the 52 weeks in the year, the, the weeks off. So I, I like to, with most of the clients I work with that also have jobs on top of their training, think of their year as phase one, phase two of the year, where they have one big goal for the front half, maybe it's a hundred K mountain race, and then one big goal for the back half. Now, if you have good general fitness, don't be afraid to sign up for a hundred mile race. It's 12 weeks away. Right? right. If you've done a bunch of 50 milers, 50 K's, you're feeling pretty good about yourself and you're really interested in the hundred mile distance. Um, and it's 12 weeks down the road. If you take care of your body and you're not coming from couch to hundred miler, you can get it done in 12 weeks. Right. We, we oftentimes also go overboard. Like I, I myself sometimes go overboard where I'm like, all right, I've got 20 weeks and I'm not going to run any races between here and the hundred. I'm just going to focus on it. And I might go do a bunch of 50 K to kind of 50 mile efforts just in training solo. But I think it's healthier for a runner to line up, test themselves, 
at a 50K. Line up, test themselves at a trail half marathon, right? Line up maybe 10 weeks, 12 weeks out, test yourself at a 50-mile race. I wouldn't recommend a 50-mile race any closer than 8 or 10 or 12 weeks. Like I think that's, that's a healthy amount of distance between the two. But most of the time for the 100-mile distance, I think 10 weeks out, like a 50-miler like a can be a great proof in the pudding. Ex- where exactly am I at aerobically and from a durability perspective approaching this 100-mile race? That could be your most important long run for your 100. So personal experience, I mean, that's just been sort of the, the success kind of rate being the highest is a, is a process oriented training approach like that. Now let's throw the monkey wrench in, right? You've got an idiot like me. That's going to do the grand slam. (laughs) Uh, So how does that skew things? Like, what do, what do we do in this case? Cause right. Cause, um, and we're going to talk about the prioritizing of the races as, you know, as you kind of mentioned in our, our pre-show notes, but um, you know, if, if we're going to take on something like the grand slam, you know, we, we now have this really huge, right. Magnitude of four 100 milers in a very short span of time. Um, the, the build plus that is going to take a lot more, um, planning and prioritizing. So, um, you know, what, what do we look at when we do something like that? Well, I'd call you a very lucky man. I wouldn't call you. an idiot. <laughs> I'm uh, a lucky idiot. <laughs> you're a lucky idiot. You got into Western States and it looks like we're going to get into three other really cool hundred mile races, all being extremely different, different, and all being on a really tight timetable. Me and you haven't done something like this. Me and you have worked together as athlete coach for UTMB and mm-hmm. for Hard Rock. Yep. That's been really fun. Yep. Um, we've worked together for Chattanooga, yep. where you, you had a great run at Chattanooga against Paul Terranova, but we haven't stacked 100 milers. So first and foremost, what is this going to take out of your body? And where do we want to be heading into it? I, I think heading into it, if, if, I, if I could wish anything for you, it would be to be as fresh as you possibly could because this is going to be a huge taxation. We don't necessarily have to be the fittest you've ever been heading into Western States because we're not just running Western States, right? We're running Western States, then three more hundred milers. And the gaps are really tricky, right? Vermont, we're talking three weeks. Leadville, we're talking, is that five weeks from that? I think that's right. And then Wasatch, we're talking another four? Uh, Three three. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, we're, this is, this is quite tricky. And in, in the past, the tightest personally I've ever done 200 milers in proximity to one another is six weeks. Um, maybe five when I did Havelina into solstice. And I think the mistake maybe that a lot of us make, especially if the first one didn't go the way we wanted it to, we try to reboot and do this additional training block between the two runs. But I think what's more important is to get the body back to full functionality and almost reverse taper into the race, getting as specific as possible to the next race coming up. So for us, we're going to get really good general fitness. We're probably going to do some half marathon, marathon, leg speed work. You're probably going to do a trail half marathon, a trail 50 K a trail 50 miler, right? For what we need to, as one of your qualifiers for one of the races throughout the spring. Um, you also are getting healthy again. So that keeps us quite patient. Whereas if you were firing on all cylinders in December, 
we would be booting up and we'd be training hard this winter and maybe starting to train hard a little too early. So I think for you, we could be quite patient through March, Aaron, and be in a state where you go into Western states a little fresher than most other people, but we also go into Western states prioritizing it. So, so for Western in particular, we need to do quite a bit of heat training, which is going to stick around and still be in the system for Vermont as well. Western states, you have the most net downhill. So we're going to need really strong quads and it's a runner's race along with Vermont. Both are runner's races. So I think that doing quite a bit of smooth downhill running, getting prepared for these events, not worrying too much about technicality, but going into the races, really strong quads, really strong glutes, <laughs> ready to power hike a lot, prepared to power hike a lot and having good a good aerobic engine are probably the most important three, four, five things. However, I mentioned there for Western <laughs> States being heat trained on top of them are really important. And then we're looking at the latter two races where we're thinking, okay, like they get more technical as we go and more high Alpine. <laughs> um, we need to be prepared almost for totally different things. You're, you'll be doing more hiking in those races sheerly because of the altitude and because of the technicality in the ladder at Wasatch. So as we get closer to those and you're maybe pretty beat up from 200 mile races, our reverse tapers are going to be really low volume and be a lot more hiking than the first few would have been, which, which makes sense too, right? You want to get to the starting line operational for all four of these races. So the first two are runners races, and we're going to be doing a lot of running for those two. <laughs> and then we're going to be battling the altitude and then we're going to be battling the technicality. So that's kind of the, the general Bob Ross pre little tree <laughs> picture I'm trying to paint here, but that is very generic when we're, you know, sure. we're talking yeah. about this on a yeah. hour long podcast and this right. is maybe a 10 minute segment. So <laughs> there are, uh, there are intricacies of those training blocks, but that's the general picture, I guess. And that's, that's what we want to look at is kind of, you know, what, what's the, the overview, right? What's our outline? You know, um, it's, um, we, we, we get into those specifics as we kind of see how fitness goes. And, you know, that's, that's the great thing about coaching is that we can, we can change things on the fly as, as we already have, you know, and that's the wonderful thing about a, a coach athlete relationship is the communication, right? Like allowing the coach to know where you're at and, and the coach to allow the athlete, what they're thinking and what we need to work on. Um, so, you know, it's, I, I, I certainly appreciate that. And, you know, I, I, I can't stress enough to, to others that that's should be something that's foundational between, uh, you know, an athlete and their coach is just the, you know, ability to communicate and for each to be heard, you know, to have the coach be receptive to the, the athlete's comments and vice versa, you know, so that you're, you're both on the same page and working towards the same goal. Um, and so, you know, speaking to the goals, um, you know, we, um, when we talk about these things, um, you know, um, <laughs> I, I listened to a, a wonderful book, um, today, um, uh, it was a real short book, uh, to coach a coach. It was a fantastic book. And then I just finished Steve Magnus's book, um, and both kind of harped on purpose, right? Like without purpose, there is no drive, you know, and, and this, this whole adventure, I'll call it is, um, you know, it's not the 
extrinsic motivation of finishing the grand slam it's you know it, it has grown and it continues to grow and finding that purpose it you know that's the thing that helps me want to get to the start line and you know aside from my goal of of finishing this i want to keep raising money for the the challenge athletes foundations um and the vermont adaptive because that has grown into something more to me um if we look at each race individually um, you know western states i'd love to earn that silver buckle right to go sub 24 definitely and i i think the reality is i'm going to set up my splits to run a 21 to 22 hour race so that I don't overtax my, myself, right? Could I run faster? Probably, but do I want to run faster? <laughs> I think that's, you know, the, the better question. Like, you know, if, if I'm yeah. going to go to Vermont three weeks later, what is the, you know, what is the thing that I can do at Western States to make, you know, the next race the best possibility for success? So, you know, um, if I put a 21 to 22 hour finish on there, it still gives me leeway in case something does go wrong to, you know, hopefully get under 24. But at the same time, I don't think I'm going to tax myself too much, um, you know, and, and looking forward. Um, so if we look at each race, you know, it's, it's really just what do I need to do to, you know, to move on to the next one? It's, it's hard because you don't want to look at the next race just yet, right? You want to focus on the, the race that's in front of you, which in this case right now, it's Western States, right? I want to focus on Western States. But I also have to be mindful of what's coming next. Um, you know, what's what's some things that I can do to think about that? In, in other words, like what? How can I better prepare myself to say, okay, I do need to focus on Western, focus on Western states, but I also have these three behind it. How do I not get so distracted? What's what's some good strategies you might say to someone in my situation or? In someone that's taking on something like maybe the B series here in, on the East Coast, um, what are things that people can do to prepare, but yet not, you know, look past it too much? Well, this is like anything in life, and we're all better at giving this advice than actually like engaging in ourselves. <laughs> but it's to to stay present in the moment that you're in, um, but to also remember the tax of getting ahead of yourself in the first of the series, right? right? So the tax for you of maybe running your perfect day, let's call it 1930, 1945, eight, Hey, 1845. I'm not sure, Aaron. Um, <laughs> you're quite a talented runner, right? So the tax of potentially running your absolute best time at Western States is, are you operational to start the weekend after at, or three weekends after at Vermont? Right. So for you, I think setting up splits to run 21, 22 hours, it gives you the leeway that if the wheels come rolling off a little bit at mile 90, you have two hours to spare or two and a half hours to spare, and you can hike it on in from ALT. <laughs> right. You see how corner you give them a high five and uh, you hike, you hike on out of there. Right. Um, but it also puts you in a position that, you know, you didn't overreach for Vermont. So I think the key here is not to only have a time goal for the first one for you or anyone else that's running the B series, like you said, or anyone else that's running the grand slam, but to also have some ancillary goals. Like I would like to average 24 hours for the series, right? Right under. I think sure. that'd be a big goal. So you don't need to necessarily get way ahead at Western States of that goal. You, you probably just need to run around 21 or 22. Wasatch is of course going to slow your overall time down a little bit. I assume Leadville is going to be you know, two hours, hour and a half slower than Western States, right? You know, maybe two and a half. 
but Vermont could potentially be right around the same time or even a little bit faster. So the way I'd look at it is if you have some ancillary goals for the entire series, like I want to run sub 26 at Wasatch, I want to run sub 24 at Leadville, and I want to run closer to 22 hours for you know, Vermont and Western states, that gives you a good scale of what am I working with for the entire run, right? And th this could also be like the trilogy, like um, Eastern states, you know, um, geez, what, uh, I'm forgetting the other two, World's End and... Yeah, uh, he Heiner? Heiner, yeah. <laughs> I've, uh, Brad Wingler will maybe listen to this episode and be like, come on, man, you've coached this <laughs> yes. for me a couple of times. What's the first one? Heiner, Heiner, yeah. So... Um, you know, you could look at it in that way where you don't want to overreach at Heiner and you don't want to bomb the downhills, you know, uh, on super rocky terrain there because you want to get ready for world's end. And it's an even tight, it's a really tight spread heading into Eastern States as well, you know, in relative terms for most people, <laughs> the proximity of the hundred K to the hundred miler. So I think that no matter what the series is that you're thinking of, and it could be a six day st stage race, like trans Rockies, this is even tighter and closer proximity. You don't want to blow it on day one because day three, you're going to be hiking up Hope Pass, right? Mm -hmm. the, the highest elevation point in the course. You, yeah. want to, you want to have good energy stores for that. So I think looking at the ancillary goals along the way a little bit, not to get distracted from the moment at Western States, but if you go in with ancillary goals on the other three, that puts you in a good mindset on race day to not overreach, right but, but still hit your goal of silver buckle, not bronze. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's, and that's great. Um, you know, you, you started to talk about a little bit about uh, kind of the reverse taper in between, um, you know, so far as rest and recovery goes. Um, let's talk about some other things that, you know, you bring into the picture. Uh, what are some things that you bring into the, the recovery picture? Um, you know, components like nutrition, um, hydration, some of those things. What are some things that you suggest to folks for, for you know, their recovery process? Yeah, I can walk through the whole process, including describing the reverse taper a little bit more. Is that that maybe a confusing concept in sure. general? Um, I mean, I can remember being presented with it and saying, what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> um, so we'll start there, I guess, the reverse taper. Let's, uh, let's call this post-Western states. So the way we look at it is we have three weeks, but we know that in order to be operational at Vermont, and for your endocrine to be in a good state, we're going to need at least seven, if not 10 days off from running. But for you, we are going to start loading again, probably on day five or six or seven with some hiking, maybe even a little weighted hiking, even if it's just your pack, some bottles in there, getting out for four miles with a little bit of elevation change, right? We're not talking any running yet, but you are going to do some hiking at Vermont, right? There's a significant mm -hmm. amount of uphill, downhill. So reintegrating a little bit of uphill, downhill, even if it is just hiking at day five, six, or seven following um, Western states. Those first four or five days, we want to be completely off. And when I say completely off, like I know I drive my partner, my wife, like a little crazy after day six or seven. <laughs> and it's like, so when is this like 10 day rest period over? Um, but I mean, completely off. I mean, like playing a video game and just relaxing and taking time and, you know, enjoying a few beverages, like, you know, just chilling and hanging out, keeping your feet up. Um, now, I don't mean only doing that. In addition, I'm talking, let's do some 
mobility work with a rope, like Phil Wharton's activated isolated stretching protocol each day, not getting started on that too early, but, but maybe putting the legs every day in a 20 minute Epsom salt bath. Um, if you're you know fortunate enough to be in a financial situation to go get a massage, like maybe three, four days after your race, your muscles are ready for a light massage, maybe six or seven days after your race, your body is ready for a deeper tissue massage. This is going to help to reset you quickly for the next build, getting on a foam roller, get doing some active recovery right now. Active recovery could be a two to three mile walk every day with no weight following the race for the first four or five days to just get blood flow to those areas that have been extremely taxed in your first hundred mile of this huge series. So don't undervalue the, you know, the the 20 minute per mile walk on flat terrain following a hundred mile race. I think getting blood flow to those areas is important. And like I said, follow it with, with some mobility, follow it with some self-therapy, whether it's a massage gun or foam rolling, follow that with uh, an Epsom salt bath. That's a really good protocol for your first four or five days. So let's talk day six or seven for you. That's a little more critical because we only have a 21, 22 day gap, right? So we don't want to lay off too much because your next race is coming up and we don't shock that system. So around days six, seven, eight, that's where you get into Aaron, like adding, turning those flat two to three mile walks into some, some hikes with, you know, let's call it 50 feet a mile or 60 feet, 70 feet a mile of rolling terrain hiking on single track, starting to envision now, okay, my, my endocrine system isn't feeling quite as taxed. I don't feel like I need to sleep 10 hours a day. Now I can be in a position where I'm getting back out on the type of terrain that I'm going to be experiencing at Vermont. Now we're at day 10, right? And let's say this is our first kind of test run. We're just talking four to five mile test run, like nice and easy through relatively rolling terrain. This first run could even be on flat terrain, maybe test run one flat terrain, test run two, closer to four five, six miles through a little bit more rolling single track. Then you kind of know, how am I feeling on flat terrain? How am I feeling on single track or rolling dirt roads? And then we gradually build from there throughout that week. So we have kind of like a four or five day training week where maybe by the end of the week, we get closer to eight or 10 miles on that Sunday. So that's technically two weeks removed from your race. Maybe you see your first 10 miler. So <laughs> we have then just seven days till the race, right? So this is a, this is a gradual, um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Now we're just seven days from the race. So that, that week we are maybe doing like a power hike or two on the treadmill, right? Mm -hmm. Like we're getting ready for the train. Maybe we do eight miles and some strides, like on that Wednesday, maybe just three or four miles and some strides on that Friday. And geez, you're racing on Saturday. <laughs> it's kind of a wild reverse taper because you didn't really run much in between the two events, sure. but look, you got a 10 or 12 miler in, right? You got, you know, a few days of lighter strides in and look, your fitness has not faded. Your fitness is there. The most important thing is you're operational enough to get out for an hour to an hour and a half on trails and you felt good about it. That's all the time we have, right? <laughs> so yeah. it would look, it would extrapolate and that reverse taper would look a little different if it was like six weeks. So I've done it in such a way where it's that same exact protocol for the first 21 days. But then I had three more weeks between when I did Havelina heading into Brazos Bend in 2019. So for you, it might've only been a 25 mile week 
between for the reverse taper. But for me, it was the same. It was like zero miles, 25 miles, 45 miles, 60 miles. And I actually got a 70 mile weekend before I tapered again. Right. You don't necessarily need to get in another training block or a huge long run in between. You just need to be operational on the starting line. So right. I think when you're on a three week spread, if you feel good on trails for a 10 to 12 mile run, it's enough. Right on. Yeah. Um, you, you know, you touched on, um, having, you know, um, massage and, um, you know, some of these other ancillary things, but you know, that got me thinking. And uh, one of my questions was we oftentimes try to create a team around us, you know, for something, um, you know, it, it, it can be for, you know, again, for anything in training, but, um, when you look at that team, who are some people that you like to have on it? Cause we don't want to create this huge massive team but we want to have some particular people on there that we can count on who would that be to you yeah so from a motivational and guidance perspective um magda boulet um for western states 2019 most of my 2019 year and then in more recent times ian Sharman. they've they've just been invaluable resources ian has been um there for me, like motivationally in the last couple of years, just structurally, um, giving me like so many ideas that I wouldn't have given myself, like, Hey, it's important to, to reestablish some leg speed, but also giving me like the emotional guidance during times where I'm not super motivated to run and train at the level that I, I, I was years ago. So Ian has, um, Ian has been an invaluable resource in that way as a coach. Right. So I think the most important thing is selecting a coach, someone that you know is in your corner that is going to provide you with sound guidance that is in it for the long haul and isn't trying to get as much out of you as possible from a marketing perspective, right? <laughs> like, wow, the, I can get this athlete to achieve insane things. We can market that and we can get other clients because of this athlete's success. So, you know, the way I look at it is, I want runners that I coach personally to enjoy running 10 years from now more than they do right now, right? That's like the baseline of my coaching philosophy. So no matter what, even if it's sacrificing race performance for this small block of time while they get healthy, like we need to give them time to get back to a good physical or mental state in order to still be in the sport 10 years from now, right? That's, that's always been my goal, whether it's collegiate or post-collegiate um, or in ultra running, right? So I think I have chose to select people that are friends that I also respect a lot as coaches like Ian and Magda to, to be there. So small team of like one coach, one advisor getting you ready. Like that's kind of the, the beginning of the hierarchy there. Um, sure. In addition, like, Hey, like have a, have a great partner, have a great person in your life that, you know, like that is there for you, whether it's partner, wife, husband, sure. right. Yep. Um, that, that is an extremely important aspect to me of just feeling like running isn't <laughs> the only thing and we're <laughs> in each other's corner. And this is, you know, I'm on this adventure with this person. Right. Yep. Um, and then like you said, um, massage therapists, like, so my friend, David Howard's been my massage therapist for, for six years and he's just been awesome. He's a healer. Right. So I've, I've, chose to stick with one person that has really got to know my body and keep me, you know, in a good state in that way. Um, in addition for me, like 
Phil Wharton has been a, a good friend and someone that has helped me through times where like I was really struggling at say hamstring origin after comrades. Um, you know, Phil kind of came into my life at that point and his activated isolated kind of stretching protocol um, has been really big for me to just keep me like, you know, in the sport. So those are a few of the core components. And then we can kind of branch out from there from like, do you also have time for a physical therapist? Do you also have time and money for uh, a nutritionist, right? Do you also have time and money for all these other bits, right? right. So, you know, I've, I've worked a bit with Will Benitez, who's, who's uh, he has a business called On Pace Wellness and Will's been a great, you know, nutritionist to kind of look at like my, the last like seven days and help me design a program based on, you know, inside tracker kind of blood levels, like where I'm at um, in order to get me more operational before my race. So you can have a big team there, but let's just talk your daily team. Things that like don't fiscally cost you. Right. I think having a good training partner or someone that keeps you accountable is really important. So for me, like Kaylee Demersian is a big, um, part of like me getting out the door every day and wanting to continue to train. Like Kaylee lives right down the street from me. I've been coaching her for years. Now she lives in Savannah and keep me having someone in your life that maybe, um, gets you out the door and keeps you excited about running uh, like a training partner can be very important. Right. Yeah. Separate from, of course, like your life partner, but also like a really like someone you see every day, right. That becomes one of your best friends. And it doesn't have to be someone that is even exactly at your level in terms of like performance to, it could be someone that you just go and do their hard days with, which are your easy days, right? Yep. <laughs> like some, someone's tempo could be, could be your recovery day. So if you connect personally with someone, I think a training partner is invaluable as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and you know, you touched on, uh, a, a nutritionist or a dietitian. Um, you know, I, I know you're a big advocate of, of fueling properly. Do you want to touch on any key aspects that, you know, you think is really important, not only for something like I'm, t I'm taking on, but just for, you know, training in, in general, it can be for any distance. Um, are there key components that you like to, to share with folks, uh, especially in their, their recovery process? Yeah. Do you also mean during the race, Aaron, as well? Um, um, we, we can get, I mean, think I was thinking more like, you know, in daily aspect, uh, or, you know, post-race, um, we, I, we could have a whole conversation of in-race nutrition, <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, but I was just thinking of, you know, like the larger picture, right. What are some things that you would share with folks that like, these are some things that sometimes we don't think of, you know, um, if, if we're looking at, you know, nutrients and such, what are some key things that you key takeaways that you found that you would share to say, this is something that, you know, is it may be, you know, a small thing, but it can have big benefits. Yeah. So keeping a general intake that is consistent yet well-rounded and diverse is really important. I think the more that you could be eating with you know, local farmers and kind of eating with the seasons, that's going to help you to keep your diet well-rounded and diverse. So for example, like for years, we've done a CSA or shopped at our local farmer's market. And that's like, Hey, this is what's available this time of the year. 
and we kind of supplement from there, right? In addition to thinking about the sourcing, I, I definitely insist that people think about the macro and the micro. So when I say the macro, I mean carbohydrate, protein, fat. When I mean the micro, I mean, are you getting enough iron? Are you getting enough magnesium? Are you getting enough potassium, <laughs> right? Like, are you getting enough B12 because you're, you're vegan, right? So there are a lot of things to be thinking about. Um, from there, it's a matter of how much do you really want to be sourcing from primarily plant proteins? How much do you, you know, are you, are you limited by, I am unable to consume red meats? Um, you know, like, are you a pescatarian? You have to really think about then like, where are you at on the scale? Like, I, for example, I'm a pescatarian, right? Like I, I just, just eat fish and I primarily eat like vegetarian, vegan meals. So I think a lot about supplementing, um, iron, you know, paired with vitamin C to make, make sure I have enough, you know, iron, my ferritin or, um, my ferritin is at a good level. Um, I also think a lot about supplementing calcium, right. And I also think about supplementing B12 because I'm not getting B12 from, um, a red meat source. Right. So that's a good starting place is to, this is why it's really good to do like a seven day evaluation with a nutritionist and do a blood test to get a baseline of where am I at and how much could I improve? Cause you might look in and say, okay, I'm a male and I've been here. I have a third, my ferritin's at 34, right? I can't possibly perform at exactly optimal levels, but all my best races, I've, I've never been above 45 or, or 50 for ferritin, which is like surprisingly low, right? compared to in order to be operational, the industry says like 65 is the magic number. Like, I, I don't know if I've ever been at 65 for my ferritin. Right. So from that perspective, like each person is different, but doing a blood test on a semi-regular basis will help you to know like how good of a job am I actually doing? Um, in addition, like developing a consistent program is really good. Like I know I operate really well off of a small snack and a small, you know, a small snack, like a stroop waffle with some nut butter on it, maybe a banana cup of coffee, go for a run. Like that's like first breakfast. We're talking Hobbit meals here. Then second breakfast, you come back and, uh, maybe I do like a, like a protein based smoothie with like a four, one ratio, um, you know, getting four or 500 calories in before I clean up, do some mobility, some strength, then I have proper breakfast, your second breakfast, like your hobbit meal here. Right. So a lot of distance earners may benefit a lot from having four or five meals, but in there it becomes precarious. Like, okay, calcium was a little too close to iron, which is going to interfere with absorption. Right. <laughs> this is why it's really important to have a nutritionist that helps you plan. When do I take my iron each day? Right. Right. <laughs> when do I take my my calcium each day? Like when do I take the micronutrients that aren't interfering with each other? In addition, you need to be thinking about the macro, right? So protein fats, extremely important to get into your body quickly after running. Um, how late into the evening do I want to be eating? Um, how am I going to fit all these meals in? Am I, and am I calorically getting enough? So there's a lot going on here. This is, this is a big, broad question, but those are, those are my main bits of advice, like consistent, uh, well-versed and diverse in terms of your diet. Excellent. Excellent. Um, you also act about, asked about in post to hundred mile races, right. And big efforts, Aaron. So <laughs> what I'd say in post is 
remembering things like gluten is a digestive irritant, right? And I'm not encouraging you to not eat the things that you would like after a race, but I would definitely encourage you to, yeah, you, you need carbohydrate for the brain to operate like efficiently and well, it's, it's the main fuel for our brains. So I think that, yes, it's extremely important to get carbohydrate after your race, but be careful about the sourcing so that you're not, um, interfering with the body's ability to process a lot of that damage that's already been done. So putting in a digestive irritant, like, you know, like very bready foods after a race, isn't always the answer. Whereas like eating higher protein, higher fat diet following a race is a really good approach to make sure that you're getting enough fuel, you're getting enough calories, but you're also not pumping digestive irritants in, right? So maybe thinking about thinking about like getting your carbohydrate from more potato, rice, quinoa based carbohydrate after a race, as opposed to, I'm just going to eat all my favorite pastries at <laughs> this little deli, <laughs> right? Right, right. Oh, I, I think about like, I'm going to eat an avocado every single day following a hundred miler, right? Like avocado with, you know, corn chips, like, you know, like with, sure. with really good fats, like I'm going to eat a lot of nut butter. I'm going to eat a lot of uh, protein from like a yogurt source. So these are good places to start for us. But like I said, I'm not a registered dietitian. I've sure. just gone through yeah. this process many times. Yes, yeah. no, absolutely. Uh, and I appreciate that, uh, you know, uh, and something that you've kind of touched upon throughout this, this episode and, and previously um, is um, incorporating much more than just the running, right? We're, we're looking at, um, you know, strength components. We're looking at mobility components, um, you know, so that it's, it's more of a comprehensive plan, right? We're looking at the functionality of the body so that, you know, we have a reduced likelihood of injury. That's kind of the big thing, even with all that, you know, injuries do manifest themselves. I mean, it's such a repetitive behavior, especially within hundred miles. We've kind of got this motor pattern that we're producing time and time again, you know, injuries do happen. Um, with that said, if something pops up, you kind of talked about how uh, your return in uh, your training, you came back a little too quickly and ended up on the bike. Um, you know, what what are some things that, you know, if if injury does kind of manifest, what's, what are some things that we can, we can do uh, to help us keep going, you know, uh, aside from the recovery process, if we're looking to, you know, to, to at least maintain fitness, what are some things we could be looking at? Well, first and foremost, you know, see an orthopedic specialist, see a PT We're we're not talking, like you said, we're removing that element, but we have to consider that element when we're considering what we can do. Right. So like, let's say we have a problem in the lower leg, like maybe we want to do some, some rowing instead of biking. Right. And really immobilizing like whatever joint has given us some problems in that lower leg. Right. Um, maybe we want to do swimming because even rowing is too much of a taxation. If that's an ankle or knee or hip issue and the rowing is too much. Right. So we do need to analyze on the front end with a physical therapist or a medical professional, like what can we even do once we had established what they, we can do, like they say, yes, you can row or yes, you can ride a bike, but I'm concerned about you doing weight bearing training with running then you can ask how about hiking? No, still no hiking. So, okay. Let's just say like hiking and running have been removed. What can we do? Well, what do we know about the body, the human body? We work really well doing 45 minutes to an hour and a half of exercise a day. Okay. 
So what am I willing to do and what do I have access to? Well, I have access to a pool. I have access to a rower. Um, these are good starting points, right? I don't have access to a bike. All right. So from that perspective, I think we can think consistent training to maintain 75% of our aerobic capacity by getting good at, you know, being on these other ancillary sources, right? A rower or in the pool. Now we can add stimulus in there, right? We could do some aqua jogging. We could, um, we could learn to do tempos in the pool while aqua jogging or tempos on the rower. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, th there are ways that we can still stay aerobically fit and apply some of the general training concepts to have almost a cross training training block to where it's not just spinning on a spin bike in zone one the entire time. So we can still add stimulus. Like we can do strides on, we can do strides at the end of a session on a rower, <laughs> like mechanically, that's going to be totally different, but at least we're getting those nice little spikes and plateaus in heart rate, right? We're yep. still not totally walking away from the core components of what, what give us the ability to shift gears, like in late in ultras, right? So we can do a lot there aerobically. I think also doing things like maintaining core strength and working on some of our weaknesses are really good when we're not able to run. So maybe we want to do, um, some power oriented activities in the gym, right? More like four to six repetitions. Like when we're not doing it, when we're not doing, um, when we're not in a, a gigantic training block, doing massive amounts of volume, that could be a really good time for us to work a little bit more on power development as opposed to muscular endurance work and power development, meaning higher weight, lower reps, um, muscular endurance, meaning like 12 to 15 repetitions of exercises. So that could be a really good time for us to maintain core strength, but also develop a little bit of power and maybe work on attaining a little bit more muscle mass than we're used to having. So there's a lot we can do when we're not able to run. It's difficult motivationally and mentally though, to continue to train when you know, you're not going to be able to run for a while. So maybe that was part of your question. I felt like that was part of your question. Yeah. How do we stay motivated? Um, well, how much does it mean for you to return to running and what state do you want to return to running in? You want to return to running in a, in a decent aerobic state, quite fit, you know, thinking about body composition and okay, I don't want to gain a lot of weight during this time. I want to come back and be able to get back into training like as quickly as possible. So that could be your motivation, right? Um, harder to have training partners, uh, when you can only row, but maybe you have a really good friend that's willing to go aqua jog with you a few days a week, you know? <laughs> so if you totally lose your training partners, you know, maybe you could encourage someone to come with you. Um, and maybe it's your partner that, that has never aqua jogged before. Right. Right. Like maybe you're like, Hey, you want to come do this with me? Maybe we can go swim together. So keeping community involved is really difficult when you're injured, but maybe there's someone that, um, is willing to support you in that way. And, yeah. and they could improve their body composition as well. So. Yeah. Well, and you know, to that point, I mean, I was just talking with, um, uh, Fanny Barrett about, uh, the grand slam that she did this year. And, you know, it, it, it becomes a, a mental strain too, you know, not just a physical strain, but you're just exhausted mentally. Um, so, um, the, uh, <laughs> So with that, you know, that said, um, having training partners that, you know, can, can be there and continue to, to motivate you and be a part of, you know, your training, I think is, is a huge aspect, but aside from, you know, the, the benefit of, of training partners, um, 
what are some other things that you know you've done when you've been in that kind of mental low because I'm sure it comes, you know, with, with training, it's, it's a, you know, it's a hard thing. And you know, I'm sure it's going to hit me at some point that I'm just, I'm just exhausted and I'm going to have another hundred miler, right. You know, coming up. So uh, what are some, some mental tips that you have? Yeah. What, when you hit a bit of a low, um, you know, leaning on your community a bit to sometimes get you motivated and outdoor is great, but but what if, what if you don't have that, right? What if you don't have a training partner? How do you stay motivated? Well, to a degree, you have to give yourself some flexibility. Like, like an off day isn't a bad thing. Not like 20 in a row is not great, <laughs> right? When you're, when you're training for something and you're on a tighter timetable. But I think regular off days can be beneficial. Um, may, you know, it's not always the answer to just be a run streaker. You know, I think some of the best years of my running career, I was a, you know, two day off a month kind of runner. Right. And those kept me going and kept me excited where I was like, I was reminded on a regular date basis, like what it felt like to take an off day. So in order to maintain motivation, I think play with different methods. Like maybe you should just be running six days a week. You know, maybe you should be running all but two days a month play with like different waves there. And I think as runners that are used to grinding as a habit, <laughs> you know, <laughs> grinding is a little bit of a habit for us. When we take a day off, we realize, oh, I don't like this very much. Like I can't wait to get back to it tomorrow. So play with the frequency a little bit when you're in those low patches, like maybe it's five days a week and that's okay. You know, I think when you're going through lows like that, like taking a day off can help. Mm -hmm. Don't make it a pattern but it can fire you up for the next training build. So off days have always been really helpful for me in that way, where I don't necessarily like the way I feel, uh, you know, when I'm, when I'm not running. Right. Um, and I've been taking a big chunk of time off here from Havilene. I'm ready to get going again. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm really excited about the next training build. So when you're on a tight timetable, give yourself, you know, be forgiving, I guess, and give yourself some flexibility. Mm. But if it turns into a problem for four or five days and you're like, Oh, I still don't feel motivated. Then maybe it's time to, you know, speak with someone. Like I, I think a sports psychologist could be really valuable for someone that's struggling with motivation to run. Um, and I think that even if you have good friends that aren't your everyday training partners, you know, use them as a source of motivation and talk to them about your struggles with like, ah, I just don't feel like running right now. What do I do? You know? Yeah, yeah. So it's a combination here of the mental physical of like play with the frequency of running in order to find your personal rhythm for staying motivated to run. Right. And right. don't, don't just stick to the same things that have always worked, you know, like play around with five days of running a week, six days of running a week, all but two days of running a month. Like those are good beginner spots to, to stay motivated. And it's a good time to kind of uh, reanalyze your, your purpose, right? Like we talked about purpose earlier. Uh, but you know, if, if, if you don't remind yourself of your purpose and why you're out there, um, a lot of times that can, you know, you, you, you lose sight of what you're doing, what you're trying to accomplish and why you're trying to do it. Right. So, um, remind yourself of that purpose and is it still strong, uh, or does it need to be changed, enhanced? Um, you know, what, what's going on there? You know, that's, that's a good time to reevaluate as well. Absolutely. 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, struggling with purpose is is part of being a human, an adult. <laughs> it's why people change careers. It's why um, we change like our goals within endurance athletics. Like we all go through it. You've gone through it. I, yeah. I've gone through yeah. it. Like at some point we have to change our purpose and you, you have to play with the balance. Like for example, we're both runners and coaches. Sometimes we're more of coach than we are of athlete. Right. And sometimes we're more athlete than we are coach. And that is constantly pivoting up and down. So just because you define as an ultra endurance athlete, that always, that doesn't always have to come first. That could be second or third or fourth or fifth in the order. So play with where that's at throughout the year and throughout your career. And I think that it's more, it will be more sustainable if you play with that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. Um, any last thoughts, um, anything you want to touch on that we haven't talked about any parting words of wisdom? <laughs> well, I mean, this is the grand slam, the Aaron Stafford grand slam episode, right? So <laughs> I'm, I'm excited for us to engage in this. Um, I guess I'll turn that around to more of a question for you, Aaron, where, you know, I, I know you're really excited for, for this. You've been talking about getting into Western States for years and I, um, I'm just excited to be a part of the adventure with you. And I, I'm just wishing you health and uh, high levels of motivation throughout our training block here, our, our, our large training phase, I guess, <laughs> for, for this adventure. So more than anything, you know, we have to keep the fire running hot. Um, I want to turn the question around. How, how, are, how excited <laughs> are you for, for the grand slam personally? Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, like I am gonna have a hard time not getting emotional, but just the um the outpouring of support that I've I've already been shown. Um, it, you know, it, it's uh, it's like if I go off for a run, I have a hard time not thinking about what's going on and how many people are behind this effort. You know, like I I we're I've already raised over six thousand dollars. Like that's incredible. I, it was like two weeks ago that I started this. Um, and just seeing, you know, the people that are in my corner, um, I know that I have people to rely on and talk to, um, I've got a, a great team. Um, so my excitement for this experience, cause as you said, I've been looking forward to this for years and, um, you know, I'm going to do everything I can to get the line healthy. Um, and you know, it's, it's, it's not hard to find motivation in any regard. Um, you know, anywhere I turn, you know, my kids know what's going on. My wife knows what's going on. They're all on board. Um, you know, I have that support of, of you, of my family. Um, my parents are behind it, you know, and I mean, the people that, <laughs> that want to come out, it's like, it's incredible. And, you know, I've been reaching out to folks about the other races and they're all there for me. You know, they're all like, yes, let's, you know, let's, let's make this happen. So, um, you know, I, when I'm, when we talk about community, I, I feel that community and it just, it, it, it's an overwhelming sense of joy and happiness. Like, you know, it, it doesn't give me, um, a hard time in finding purpose and knowing that each run I do is brings me one more step closer to, to, you know, towing the line and, and being ready for, for this adventure. Um, so, you know, I, I, as you said, I got to stay present. I can't get overexcited. Um, you know, I can think about Western States and, and, you know, when my foot first touches the track in Auburn and like my heart rate will jack up cause I get excited, you know, about that prospect, but I can visualize it. And, you know, it's, it's just, 
making that a reality. And so how do I do that? I just have to be patient you know, trust the process, um, do all the things that I can just to, to make sure that those legs can carry me, you know, that 99.9 miles to that track <laughs> and, you know, let me set foot and, and come around the track and then do everything I can for the next one, you know? So I'm overexcited by the possibility and I am, you know, I'm, I, I can't believe I have the opportunity. Um, as I said, for UTMB and for hard rock, I can't be more, um, you know, more thankful for the opportunity. Like I, I realize what this opportunity means and not many people, you know, get to do this. So knowing that and, you know, recognizing that, that great gratuity for this, that's, that's huge. You know, like, I mean, I, I don't for a moment, you know, take for granted that this is a, a wonderful opportunity and it's because of so many people that I have this opportunity. And so, I just want to thank everybody for that. Yeah, I love it, man. Um, we're going to have to find a leather worker that can do up uh, four really nice belts for your buckles. <laughs> and uh, we're going to have to keep all those uh, on the docket there for you. No, I'm, I'm super excited for you, man. I, I think that this is going to be a really special experience. You know, I, I know Morgan Elliott's in your corner and you know, <laughs> your family's in your corner. Like I'm, I'm coming to one of these, you know, <laughs> to come support you. And I'm really excited to be there and do some pacing for you. It's, I think the longer that you're involved in ultra running, you look forward to support as much as you do racing yourself. And I know you've always been that type of guy that you <laughs> love to go support the athletes you coach. Right. So dude, it's time for your community to give back to you too <laughs> and be there for, to support you. Like, I mean, I'm not all at all surprised you've raised a ton of money already for adaptive athletes. Like you're, you're a pillar of our community on the East coast and, um, not only through your podcast, but just the person you are like, I mean, everybody's excited for you, man. I, I can't wait to be a small part of that adventure. So no. thanks, man. I do appreciate that. Um, and you know, let's just end on, a. um, on the fact that I'm grateful for you and I hope others can uh, share in your wisdom. So how can they connect with you? Yeah. So I have a platform, um, Patrick Reagan running.com. And on there is a coaching page where you can put in requests to uh, work with myself, Nicole Manette uh, or Randy Taylor, who is my team. That's my current team of coaches. Um, we're all super good friends and we all have availability for, um, 2023. So if you'd like to engage in either a consultation or coaching services, you can reach us there. And if you just want to reach out, um, something here, you, you know, you personally connected with, uh, and you have a question, I have my social media. I run only Instagram, just Patrick at Patrick Reagan running. So if you'd like to reach out, you can reach out or follow there. Awesome, man. I'll have all that in the show notes, along with a lot of the stuff that um, Patrick was was mentioning throughout the episode. Um, I really like the Whartons and their active isolated stretching. So um, I'll share a link there so that people can check that out because it is a it's a great mobility exercise. So thank you for everything, Patrick. Thanks for for sharing your knowledge and, and giving us uh, this, this great wealth of information that you just <laughs> uh, so gratefully uh, uh, gave us here. It's uh, <laughs> there's so much yeah. that you, you went through here and it was wonderful. So thank you. I'm happy to share. Yeah. I'm always, always happy to get behind a camera and chat with you too, Aaron. So <laughs> it's a pleasure being on and uh, yeah, look forward to next time. Well, Patrick, thank you again for the time um, for, 
sharing so much knowledge with all of us. Uh, you know, I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. I took away a number of things. I was taking notes as, as Patrick was talking of things that I want to remember and incorporate and do. So thank you. I really appreciate you, buddy. As to everything else that's going on here, uh, oh my goodness, we, uh, <laughs> we're right before the holidays, which is um, insane. I can't believe they're here already. So I hope you are enjoying your holidays and sharing time with your friends and your family. Um, if you're thinking on you know, next year's goal and such, please be thinking about your purpose and your why, as we kind of talked about in this episode. Write down you know, what's, what's, what is going to you know, set you on fire, what's going to make you passionate about training. Think about those things. You know, it's there. There, it's a you know, it's a huge thing to uh, to take on. I mentioned, um, and I have mentioned multiple times, Steve Magnus's book, "Do Hard Things," and you know, he talks a lot about all of these things within the book. So, if you haven't read that one, I highly suggest it. Um, so far as things go here, well, man, you know, aside from the holidays, uh, you know, we're in full swing with um, with coaching. Uh, and training. I'm so glad to be back to it. So uh, things are going well. If you are thinking about training for something and would like to have that coaching conversation, um, either with myself or with Patrick, um, again, our contacts are in the show notes. Uh, Patrick is a wonderful coach, uh, and I'm happy to have that conversation as well. Uh, you know, we are um, we're two different coaches and do things uh, slightly differently. So, you know, having conversations with multiple coaches and finding the one that's going to work best for you and the way you work is, is a great thing to do. So have those conversations. And then, uh, as always, I want to thank you guys. Uh, as I said in this episode, I want to thank you guys for your generous support and donating to the causes. I'll put those causes again in the show notes. Again, I'm raising money for the Vermont Adaptive for the Vermont 100 and for the Challenge Athlete Foundation for Leadville 100. Uh, while I have reached uh, the goals that the races have set forth for me, I, I you know, would love to continue to raise funds for these athletes. It's such a great cause, uh, creating opportunities for athletes you know, that may not know or have those opportunities. So you know, if you can donate, I greatly appreciate that, and uh, I hope you'll consider it. So again, I'll put those links in the show notes and I thank you all for your generosity and for support. It really does mean the world to me and to these athletes. Uh, so thank you. Uh, and so I want to say, um, you know, at this time of year, um, that I'm just grateful for all my friends, for all the support, for, you know, being able to continue this podcast. Uh, I will have my, um, gear review next week. Uh, I was going to do that with Nathan Lehman, um, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm not sure of the possibility of that right now, so I may just do the episode by myself, um, but the gear review will be next week, so stay tuned for that. I hope you are doing well and continue to uh, just celebrate uh, your your life that you're living right now, your happiness, that those mean the world, so please take a moment. Um, Give your thanks, and until next time, keep running, my friends.